Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Radio Show Limited season review, I suppose, is the best way to look at it. If you've been listening across the network recently, you will have heard us talking about World Superbikes and MotoGP. Well, Declan Brennan is back with me now as we have a look at the support formula or the ladder formula in the MotoGP paddock. Hello, Dex. How are you? I'm uh, very well. Uh, how are you, sir? I'm very well. I'm very well. Um, we're going to have to rattle through this because there's an awful lot to get through. But I want to start off with something that perhaps our listeners might be a little bit surprised that we're going to talk about. And that's Moto E. Now, I saw some Moto E through the year. Not all of it, but I did manage to catch up with the season review. What struck me when I watched it live and when I watched, particularly when I watched the season review, is just how far that uh, category has developed in, in what is actually quite a short time. Yes. Uh, I will nail my colours to the mask early doors here and say I love it. I love it for uh, for several reasons. Uh, partially, it I love it because it gives me more motorcycle racing <laughs> to watch on a weekend. Yes. I'm not going to lie. It's like, oh, this ch- and they get two races as well. But there's, there's something about it that... Uh, I'm fascinated by, and it's a it's lovely that that there is space within the weekend for it to exist because yeah. I think on the world championship is, on the world championship weekend that's not split yes, off, it's not it, doing anything correct. else. And yes. is it? I mean, is it fair to say now, Dex, that it is a a genuine and recognised step on the Moto Three Two E Moto GP ladder? Well. I'm so glad you said that because uh, in, in my re- research, this something just came up a little bit uh, as I was working through my Moto2 notes. I sound like Shay Adam here doing research. <laughs> but uh, but, <laughs> but uh, it is, yes, uh, in, in a peculiar sort of way. It fits, it kind of overlaps and complements uh, some of the other areas of the sport. And, there, and I'll give you a perfect example. Towards... The middle of the Moto Two season, we started to see some real uh, potential and, and talent emerge in Hector Garzo uh, for Pons Racing. Now, Garzo had run for Pons in 2019 in Moto Two as part of uh, basically he was running the what is the European Moto Two CV series, which is the uh, they run. You probably know this. They run the a slightly older chassis, but they run the, the CBR 600 engine. They don't run the Triumph engine. Yeah. So he was running, uh, weirdly, he was running for Tech 3 on a, on a Tech 3 chassis uh, in that. And at the same time, he was running within the MotoGP paddock on the, uh, on, uh, on the Pons bike. Yeah. And he did a great job. He finished fourth in the championship. He, uh, had a disqualification and one retirement, but basically uh, three of the six races he was on the podium, he finished. Uh, and so, you know, and therefore, th- 
while I'm not saying this absolutely cemented his his uh, his his reputation, but it clearly was enough for Pons to put him into the main Moto Two squad alongside Lorenzo Baldassari mm. in 2020, and he did a good job, and he is absolutely going places. Like uh, when we get to Moto Two, we'll talk about him more. But it made me think, yeah, it kind of has a place. It it, yeah. it 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 stuff like that makes makes me realize, yeah, like because it has a really weird. It has like test riders and and European superstock riders in it, and old lads like Alex D'Angelis and Sede Gibber now. And but the thing for me, Dex, and, is actually uh, the bikes are. Um, not to put uh, too fine a point, they're actually impossible to ride um, because <laughs> they have unlimited torque. Um, they carry all their weight pretty low down. Uh, and they cha- weight, though, by the way. They, they've, they're quite heavy, but they actually yeah. still change direction pretty well. But think of it as the world's f- fastest accelerating arrive and drive cart. Yes, be- exactly except you've only got two wheels. So it's all about momentum. Through no, the corners. I'm going down on the Thursday night uh, somewhere with mates to drive one of these, <laughs> in, in all fairness. If you've seen the damage they've done to uh, an air fence, I'll say, I'll say I'm oh. not getting on one of these anytime soon. No, uh, but, but instant talk. So, yes. you know, being able to ride these, particularly if the, if the conditions are anything other than absolutely perfect, which it seldom is, I thought it was outstanding. They look a real handful. You've really got to muscle them about. I know the races are relatively short, but I have to say it's worth watching. And if our listeners haven't watched it, they really need to because some of the talent that's in there. And the top three this year, all right, Domi Agata um, jumped in, I think, partway through the season and ended up equal on points with Matteo Ferrari, although Ferrari's countback gave him second. And Jordi Torres won the, the championship. Uh, and behind that, um, Mike D'Amelio, uh, Matteo Cassidy. by the way. Irrespective of anything else he does in, in Superbikes, etc., he's re-signed to come back and defend his... It's Now, it's not an official World Championship again. We must stress, yes. stress it's, a, it's effectively it's a World Cup. Yes. You can't really afford an official World Championship with an event that has seven rounds, and mm. each one of them in total means that's, what, 38 laps of racing. <laughs> but, uh, so Torres you know, has re-signed, has he? Yeah, he's coming back. Wow. Isn't that brilliant? It is now, brilliant. But what I want to say, John, is, that, and, and this is not in any way, I'm not one of these people, like uh, Formula E got knocked massively from the start, and I find Formula E quite entertaining. But I also... There was some, in fairness, there were some reasons, uh, and, and some of the criticism of Formula E, they brought upon themselves, because yes, they, cars, weren't, exactly. they weren't smart, they, yes. uh, they're um, upset, uh, not even upset, uh, they're actually called the motorsport the, the current motorsport audience dinosaurs uh, and they reinforced the, the worst part of electric uh, motoring by having to have two cars so they brought some of that on themselves that i don't see that at all though with, with moto e no and because partially because if you think about what moto uh, e is doing it's racing on the same tracks it's that's it's on the same point. weekend that's a good hugely point. important that's, that's hugely important because it, it gives a credibility and it gives a validity to electric racing and where and how that fits in with the all of motorcycle or the motorcycle industry in a way that formula e still doesn't do as far as i'm concerned formula e the fact that formula e has to run on tracks that make it look quick and whereas formula e com- or moto e comes out on the track and they blast off the line and that weird electric combination or noise <laughs> a combination of electrics and tire squeal is 
That's, really fantastic. No, I like it. I, I'm not saying I want to do it. Want the whole weekend to be like that? But, no, no. But but that is really it. You know what it reminds me of? I was thinking about this. One of the my five most favorite uh, little cameos uh, and audio cameos in motorsport was when Toyota launched its prototype mm. uh, for Le Mans at, at Paul Ricard and it did it in a very funny way it rolled it out down the pit lane of Paul Ricard on the electric motor yep. and then as it got to the end of the of the start finish line it fired up just to say look look what, what this we can, can do, do. Yeah. And, yeah, and they did that, of course, to save the, the, the starter motor every time they came into the pits at Le Mans. Milk float power, as Nick always yeah, used to call it. Because, like a milk float, but it yeah. did sound like the world's fastest milk float. It, it sounded <laughs> like John Force had got hold of an old-fashioned milk float and churned <laughs> it up. Anyway, but the bike long and the short of it is, Moto E has a position and... I think primarily, Dex, what we're seeing is, because it has its own character, is why it fits within MotoGP, Moto2 and Moto3. Because, in fact, all of those different uh, different formula, all of those different classes, do have their own uh, character and require a riding style. And Moto E just happens to do that as well. And, and I think it and, makes it valid. Yep. And when it... And- as I think what will happen is I think within two or three years it'll be a world championship it'll have it will have its own uh, it'll have defined set of races that are that are enough for it to be a world championship and and hopefully and this is obviously the important thing and, I, and I'm sure this is, has to be the aim is as range becomes comes less of an issue we'll get mm. longer races but i don't think ever we're ever going to get races that we we ever more than 10 or 12 laps no, i would have thought agreed. and that's and that would be that will be fine because it's fun it's sprint racing it's great the, the the thing that i hope happens and we'll move on after this the thing that i hope happens is that it brings to uh, it, it drives some development and it brings to the public consciousness how useful a an electric two-wheeled machine can be because if in the car world most people only do 28 miles a day or whatever it is so you, you don't actually need a car that can do 300 miles on a charge if you think of how people use scooters and mopeds particularly all right not big touring bikes i've I, you know i've got a 1600 cc bike so I, possibly i'm not the right market but if i had a a, a scooter type lambretta moped style bike that i could jump on and knit round go and get the fish and chips and not then have to get a car out, then I would use right. it. And if I, if there was something that was practical and useful and stylish and maybe had a motorsport background as well, what we haven't got are those brands and the the breakthrough into electric two-wheeled uh, transport. And, and I think that if that comes, I think it'll take off massively. Yeah, and I think a combination of that and... and uh... TT zero are uh, will continue to be incredibly important and and I'll finish with this John, who wouldn't want a motorcycle that would beat anything away from the lights yes. on two or four wheels? Well, motorcycles <laughs> tend to anyway, but yes, it, yeah. the smallest well, little scooter, Lambretta style thing, and you and you take off like you've been fired off a off a steam catapult. Love it. Let's move to let's move to Moto three, Moto three. If if Moto uh, E is uh, a set of bikes that are impossible to ride, um, Moto 3 is everybody being second or third or fourth or first because it is pack racing at its very, very best. Um, it is. And it's... <sighs> 33 riders took part in the championship this year, of which 25 scored points. 
we haven't got time to go through everybody, but overview of Moto G uh, of Moto Three um, every weekend. You and I were tweeting, and it was just, oh my god, that's the best Moto Three race ever. Because every weekend they just seem to outdo themselves. Yep, Moto Three is uh, probably, uh, with the exception, maybe if you get to see it, uh, some Super Sport Three Hundred, which might be even more ridiculous uh, in the World Superbike paddock. Moto Three is 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 for me is the unmissable. It's the one I can't miss. I can't. I will always. I watch everything on delay because through the uh, through the the, the video pass app, uh, maybe a few uh, an hour or so after it's run. But I will always if I've if everything has been completed, I will always watch Moto Three first yeah. because it is it's it is always the one that's the most most ridiculously entertaining and the one that has you on the edge of your seat. And when you look down, if you look down through the through the list, like uh, we had winners down as far as uh, Romano Fanati who just uh, oh, uh, on. Don't. On a, a, a just maybe on the wrong bike, uh, running, uh, just but he, you know, 14th, he has a win, yeah, on uh, a Husqvarna, by the way, on well, a Husqvarna, yeah, all right, which is yeah. I know it's a KTM brand now, and, and that's the yeah. other thing we should mention KTM, Honda, Hooks, Husqvarna, you know, all involved uh, in this, and you know, this. Think of it as you know the old one. It's somewhere in between one two five and two fifty in terms of, of of the old categories and in terms of the uh, the performance levels and the lap time levels. But they are the smallest bike uh, um, with an internal combustion engine on the Moto GP package. They look incredible when you see what performance they get out of them because the tyres simply don't look wide enough. I've had a mountain bike that had wider (laughs) tyres on than that. And the racing that these guys get up with. Now, fair to say, Dex, that you you cannot afford to be carrying any extra weight yourself and bigger lads sometimes have to work uh, uh, very hard indeed and sometimes don't get the results, perhaps, that, that their skill. But what you learn in Moto3 is pack racing, is looking after tyres, because even though the, the bikes are oh, fairly yeah. light, you've got to keep the tyres underneath the bike at the end. If you And qualifying is actually, you wouldn't think it, because there's almost always 150 bikes battling for the top three positions. But qualifying, so important, because if you've got a fight early on, you're, just, you're doing that, you're taking more out the tyre. Well, that's precisely the point, and that's... that's uh... It almost gets overlooked where we kind of we dismiss ah yeah like you know it doesn't matter where you qualify which which uh, and there are races absolutely where people have qualified twenty seventh and and come through to, to win and that, yeah, that, yeah. that happens but the amount of times you'll see somebody pull in for example uh, if if you're not necessarily always watching it like you will have a twelve or fifteen rider group and then behind it there might be two seconds to another twelve or fifteen rider group and over the course of six or seven laps that gap will be bridged but normally the rider who bridges that gap or can move to the front has eaten up his tire and yeah. so you're right the discipline and the patience uh, that you you need to have and you need to learn to have in moto three i think is probably the key it's the reason finding median speed finding yes. being yes. being fast enough being fast enough to qualify well enough being fast enough to run at the front being fast enough to to know when to just back off and and being ready for the last uh uh, lap or two of the race that is such a crucial skill and not everybody not everybody learns it and no. not everybody transfers it when they move to moto two uh and that's and, very uh, true. 
It and reminds me, Dex, in some ways, and obviously, you know, I, I come from an island that has middle and long distance running in athletics as absolutely part of its athletic heritage. It reminds me of a 5,000 or a 10,000 metre race, not because of how long it is, but if somebody breaks away, if a group of 5, 6, 7, 10 break away and you're not in it, you fight your way to the front of the next group, they tend to be slowing themselves down a little bit, that front group. So you bridge the gap. But if you dash across the gap, then you've got nothing less for the last 200 metres in athletics terms. You've got to pace yourself back and get on the back of the group and then bring yourself to, to be in the right position, yes. you know, at the bell, as, as David Coleman um, would, have, would have said. You know, <laughs> where, where is he going to be? Is he boxed in? But I do look at the races like that because where you are in the line... And I mean, we'll we'll talk about. Well, I look at the riders. I look at the riders like that exactly Exactly, the same way. It's like you look at the guys, and and when we get to Albert Arenas, we we can talk specifically about this because he became the king of this. But uh, but you you look at and 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 to be honest, let's give you a perfect example of the guy who who still hasn't grasped this. Uh, or hasn't managed it is Darren Binder. Now Darren Binder doesn't know how to qualify. Uh, If Darren Binder could qualify. Uh, I think we'd have a very different story, and and uh, he's obviously going to get the chance. And yes, to he is Brad Binder's younger brother, by the yeah, way, from South he, Africa. Absolutely, and he's going to mature oh. uh, uh, even more. Have the chance to even more next year uh, as he moves on. I believe he's moving on to to uh, to, uh, to the the Red Bull bike, mm. uh, staying in 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 the category. But he would spend most races. Uh, you know, qualifying 18th and being uh, seventh by the second quarter, you know, <laughs> which is fantastic. And then making more moves on people and fighting his way to the front, uh, but but inevitably making the wrong choice or being in the wrong place at the wrong time yes. and getting not, like just too many retirements, too many. Uh, granted, you know, uh, he gets his win in Catalonia, which is fantastic. And things started to, there wasn't a, a full enough follow that immediately by retirement. But mm-hmm. then, you know, second at Aragon and just, you, you, you saw, saw the kind of the shoots of where he can go as a rider oh, great. towards the second, second half of the season. It's like, and to be honest, he's box office. Like I will, uh, you're literally tuning in to watch Darren Binder through your fingers, in all fairness. Oh, no, that's absolutely, but, uh, and actually, that, he's, he's a great place to start as we run down the top riders because he's in eighth place with 122 points. You, you mentioned uh, Romano Fanati, who finished 14th, but he was down on 77. 13th was Gabriel Rodrigo, 80. Tatsuki Suzuki, 83. Uh, Jeremy Alcoba, 87. Dennis Foggia in 10th on 89. And 90, Sergio Garcia. So, after those guys, Binder... That was a disappointing year for Sergio, by the way. Very Just, disappointing, uh, uh, yeah. Very disappointing. After he's, he was coming off winning in Valencia in 2019. Mm. Uh, granted, he is, a, he is a child. He's 17. I don't think he's 18 yet. I think he, he, I think next year is a big year for him. And, and so when we come to our preview or when we start to talk about Qatar uh, next March, we'll certainly be, uh, we'll be looking at him again. But yeah, but Binder... Uh, uh, Binder absolutely of 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 those top eight that that we're talking about. Binder is probably the one with the most potential because he has, and we'll come to this when we talk about motor two. He has so much speed; it's oh. ridiculous. And the speed, he, the speed he carries on the brakes and through the apex of the corners is is it's frightening to yes. watch. One position yes. above him, and 
uh, what, nine points further ahead. I'd say also a disappointing season for John McPhee, the 100%. doughty Scotsman. Um, his, his problem again is qualifying. He races well. He races quite smart. Had a couple too many DNFs when he was trying very, very hard indeed. Was a championship contender going into the last three four rounds uh, was yes. w- was right at the sharp end of the field for the for for the for the most of the season there was some discussion about whether the honda his honda in particular w- was quick enough particularly in a straight line and there was uh, well it's not like the honda wasn't but his yeah that's a, that's a fair point I, I i will say one thing about him he got a new uh, engine I'll... part of the way through the year he got a slightly different spec of engine i think part of the way through of the year and it did show a little bit but, but it, it still he still still seemed to have always a a deficit in straight line speed. But there's another man who's brilliant on the brakes, takes a huge amount of corner speed. Found himself, I mean, everything you said about Darren Binder, often found himself in the wrong place, got on the wrong side of somebody when they went wide, and then that dropped him four positions, and he fights his way all the way back up to third again, and then the next time you look, he's like down in ninth. How did that happen? That was that <laughs> well, was his, and, and then he got involved in a couple of accidents towards the last third of the season. Well, he did, but he also, uh, now here's a, I, I've got kind of a big picture uh, thought on him as well, insofar as, Started the season and knowing that there was the potential of a Patronus Sprinter Moto 2 seat mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to win the championship. He just had to up his game in terms of, of, of his, his median level of performance, which was and starts the season great. He starts with a second at Qatar. And I don't know if when we returned in, uh, in June in Spain, whether... He felt pressure that we suddenly had a condensed Ooh, championship. That we were actually point. in. Con- we were really by the time you get to June, you're really in contract time. Yes, really, you're the middle point, of the season, Dex. mentally in his head, and therefore he comes back at Jerez and uh, and on the last lap, instead of uh, taking a fifth or a fourth, he's desperate to to, to lunge oh. for for second or the win and knocks it off. And I'm looking then thinking. This is a short season. These you cannot afford any to give up any three uh, points to the field. Oh, no, great! Uh, two points to pick and, up on there, both of which are very, very important to make. That Mortal Three and Mortal Two both did get their first round off at Qatar, yes, um, because they were already there doing pre-season testing Correct. when the big pause hit. Um, then there's the big gap, and then we come back, as you say, um, at. Uh, in you know July wasn't it um, at the uh, Red Bull de España Grand Prix at, at uh, Angel yes. Neto so 19th of July actually hottest unbelievably hot temperatures on it with tiny skinny tires which but, would have been a, a test in itself but we didn't know how many rounds there were going to be at that point yes uh, and, absolutely and and I I had forgotten that until. Um, I started looking up um, this and watching some of the, the, the reviews that I'd, oh yeah, we didn't know whether it was going to be six, seven, eight. I mean, ultimately we got to 15 in Mortal 3 and Mortal 2. But that's a really good point you make about John there. Um, he's a great racer. There's no doubt he's a great racer, but I wonder if he got in his own way as much as anything else this year. Because he's savvy, normally so savvy in traffic. He, he just seemed to be trying a little bit too hard. Well, a little bit too hard, which is, and, and 
oddly odd to me that there are times when it feels like he he makes uh, in terms of his racecraft, he makes one or two bad decisions. He uh, mm. like fully enough to, to to use your middle distance analogy, he gets a bit boxed in occasionally. He gets a little bit bullied. He can he can despite having the speed, he can you'll often see him move to the front maybe a little early and then suddenly find himself seven or eight places back. And and but on saying that, on saying all of that, he gets uh, he rides the ship and he wins in, in San Marino. And he is That's a good ride as well. It was, and he is fourteen points off the lead. So he's he's a uh, Aranis is on one hundred and six points. Agura's on one hundred and one, and he's on ninety two. And you think, yeah, right, we're back in it. You know, mm-hmm. this there's everything to play for here. It's a crazy series, everything to play for, and he never properly no. builds on that. Uh, he goes, he has a tenth, and then the two retirements in Catalonia and France effectively killed killed off his season. Well, and when, also when the others didn't score, he didn't score either. You think to yourself, oh, bad week for yeah. Arenas, you know? Well, oh, in fact, one of them, John, don't forget, in Catalonia, he took hey, Arenas oh, out. Oh, yes, that is a good point. Uh, yes, so uh, that is that is it, and that. But so uh, it's what might have been, but but he has he's incredibly. Uh, He's an unbelievably good position insofar as that, and I, I, you have to have massive props to Patronus for this. They they are they've brought him back, and he's doing another year as a twenty six year old, I believe. And he's yeah. he, so he, so he can't. He's really now in a position where he can't fail though, because they are heck uh, of a lot of pressure again for him. In yeah, but you, I think, in order for him to stay within that organization, he's probably going to have to win a lot of Grand Prix and probably win the World Championship next top, year. Top six dominated by. Uh, Mediterranean Europeans with one exception which we'll get to in a moment so in 6th place Jean Masia for Honda um, Jean Masia yes Jean Masia on the Leopard on that unfeasibly fast absolute rocket ship of a uh, of a motorcycle that which Leopard he rode very Honda. well yes uh, I've noticed he had fastest laps uh, two races he retired uh uh, during the season, he actually uh, had fastest laps in races that he never took part in. That's how quick that bike was. <laughs> but he he had his again uh, with with the way this series works, and we'll see this a little bit in Moto Two as well. You you have to maximise your bad days yeah. in Moto yes. Three if you're going to yes. win a world championship. You can't, and you will have bad days because it's the yes. nat- nature of the yeah, beast. Because everybody's in the lead. Every every. <laughs> So can you imagine Jeremy Shaw lap charting the Moto GP yeah. uh, Moto Three race? It'd be bonkers, wouldn't it? He'd need a piece of A one paper because I need... <laughs> so uh, so that phenomenally fast bike, and and he was at at, at times brutally fast, and mm. and he it kind of all came together for him in Aragon, and he he caught lightning in a bottle, and he won twice in a row. God, I love that. But circus. ultimately. And and ultimately, actually, if memory serves me correctly, uh, I've got to double check this. But he, after the second Aragon race, he yeah he he was he was there, and he was then he was fourth in the championship. Mm-hmm. He was twenty four points off Arenas, uh, so he was well in it. And again, you know, suddenly uh, everything is in front of you. You've got the chance if you can keep up this momentum. You have uh, maybe an outside chance of winning the title with three races to go, and then he only finishes one of the next three races, and that's in ninth uh, in in Valencia too. So, uh, just 
he was at times scary fast. And and again, he did that thing that you can't do. He had he had three podiums, uh, two wins and a, a second, but then just didn't put together enough. Uh, good results outside of that too too many because he couldn't do what arenas did for example because ultimately everybody had two or three retirements whether they got knocked off because again the nature of the racing means you're going to get in somebody's way or be the victim of somebody's accident it's it's very hard to get through a whole whole uh, season of motor three without falling off at some point yeah let's move up a position Celestino nice. Vietti, first yes. of the Sky Racing Team VR46K TMs. Now, let's not forget, Celestino only had his first full season in this category last year. When he finished fifth, certainly he was, no, sixth, sixth, and he was rookie of the year. So he he's improved on that a bit, six points uh, ahead of Messia. And, what, 13 points uh, behind Raul Fernandez in fourth. Um, not a bad season for Vietti, but I, I would think he will be slightly disappointed yes. that he wasn't I, I... closer. Uh, it, it's not just about fifth in the championship and that, in fact, he's better than he was last year. I think he'd be slightly disappointed that he was as far away from the top three, let's say, that he was. He had an mo all year where he and it, it i think in some respect he might look back and think yeah this, this maybe i need i, I need to reevaluate uh, mm-hmm. but his mo was to was to where possible to to nurse the tires early not necessarily push and be there at the now when he had everything underneath him at the end and it worked and he had he had pretty good results you know as he said he would be, as opposed to Jamba Masia, he had certainly more, despite only six points more, uh, his point scoring results were, were normally better. They were top tens and, and uh, you know, he had, he had the two wins, he had two more podiums after that and then others, other top five. So, and the, the beauty of, of his current situation being a VR46 rider mm. is that he has clearly shown enough uh, to uh, Rossi and th- that organization that he's been moved up to work alongside and race alongside Bezeki in the uh, in the Moto2 team yeah. uh, next year so and he clearly look again if you're if you're is a regular too, podium finisher too, and a it, winner is it too early for him to move no, up to Moto2 no no i don't think so no not at all because i think what they'll do what a lot of guys uh, the younger slightly smaller guys uh, in uh, motor that move up to motor two is they get if you're sensible and and ma- good management would uh, give give them the, uh, the give them the first year space. for nothing yes exactly give them the Just first year for nothing no build up your strength yes yeah learn, yes. learn the bike point. build up your strength and because all of these guys we forget these fellas are either children or jockeys or both <laughs> they're like they're they're absolutely like, like you know the way in, in uh, Saudi Arabian camel racing where they put a child on the camel just so it has a jockey on it. Mm-hmm. Have you you've seen that? And now yeah, they've yeah. started using robots. Yes, these are this is kind of like this. They're all well. They're so all sixty. The sixty so kilos. They're all yeah, sixty, they're all... sixty-five kilos. I mean, we think yes. that racing drivers are little, but you have to be in Moto Three. And then when you move up to Moto Two, and we'll talk about Moto Two. Moto Two, the, the style of riding of Moto Two is distinctively different from Moto Three. Yes. 
I, I, there's an argument about, and we'll, t- I'll, I'll, we'll talk about this, there's an argument about whether Moto2 is the right stepping stone to MotoGP, and I'm not sure it is, and I'll, I'll come to that uh, in a wee moment. But, but building up your core strength, building up your stamina, because you've got a heave a Moto2 bike around, whereas you, you're flicking the Moto3 bike. It, it's, it is literally like getting off a big touring bike and jumping. I remember many, many years ago when I started riding motorcycles, I had a Suzuki, funny enough, and I ended up on a, um, I had a Suzuki 900 RF. That was my first ever brand new bike. And as you did in those days, you rode out with your, your mates and, you know, once in a while you'd swap over bikes. And a mate of mine had just bought a brand new 851 Ducati. And I got onto the Ducati and it was like jumping off a motorbike and jumping onto a push bike because the thing was so tiny and it changed directions so quickly. That's Moto3. Moto3, it is, it's about feel and it's about momentum, as we've talked about. I think that's, I think that's a good call, seeing that, he, that they might give him a, a full year just to, just to build. Well, I think up. they can because I think he, you know, the, this is the beauty of, of the VR46 Academy. Is these, and we talked about this in the previous show, it's like, Rossi doesn't have children. These are his children. These no, are, no, that's definitely this is, right. This is nurture. Now, this is this is he's going to look at at him, and th- th- we're going to see proper a proper career nurtured, and he's going to given he's going to be given every opportunity to succeed. Mm. Funnily enough, which is exactly the same way that the ecosystem of uh, of Red Bull KTM does, yeah. and we, and that's yeah. what's happening as well with Raul Fernandez, who we're going to move on to. Who is next? Uh, who is next? Who yes. came fourth? Nine points further ahead. Then there's a bit of a gap. There's an eleven point gap to the top three, who were separated by nothing at all. To be honest, Raul Fernandez. Then um, he has been given the time. Uh, he, he again. He's a. He's a. When was he born? Two thousand. Oh, so yes. So he's one of the veterans uh, in <laughs> in the class. Again, sixty three kilos. Um, moved sixty three kilos. Big, lad. Big, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He he. When he moved first into Moto three for the Angel Nieto team, he won the CEV title the same year. Um, I, I think, um, and so you know the year, the year before, then he moved into Moto Three, um, moves into the Red Bull KTM IO squad, and yes, alongside Remy Gardner. Did, and uh, did, did he do enough? And I think yes. I, I think he did. Yes, he did, and and uh, he, if you uh, look at the second half of the season, uh, he was. The fastest rider. Yeah. Uh, if you look at it, uh, basically, by if you if we start off uh, at uh, second race at uh, at Mizano, uh, he's on pole. Uh, he's on pole again at Aragon one. He's pole again at uh, Aragon two, and then he gets a, a the the podium in Aragon one, and then finishes the season uh, first or first, and has the has the trifecta in Portugal. Paul Fass's lap in the wind. Yeah, full And house. he was, and, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, again, motorsport is always, fascinates me in terms of how these things happen. Uh, he's immediately, the talent was spotted with him, clearly early doors. And it's almost like the uh, Akiyo organization and, and, uh, and Red Bull and KTM basically looked at uh, him and said, yeah, we're moving him up anyway. And then literally the second half of the season went, yeah, well, 
we're abs- that's absolutely copper fast and that he's getting the uh, he's getting the, the the Moto Two ride and I think he'll thrive in Moto Two. I think he will. And we talk, you. He's a little taller. He's a little bigger. Uh, and quite, I, he's I, actually quite broad across the shoulders. It's one of the things about his riding. You see how hard he works to tuck down and make himself aerodynamically efficient. I, I think he'll do well. I think he's got the levers to pull a motor two bike around uh, and make it work. I, I agree with you, and I think he's one to watch. Yeah. Now, uh, interestingly, uh, interestingly, and conversely, I don't. I feel the opposite of Ayagura. Ayagura should have been sponsored by a deck chair company. He folded so quickly. Uh, <laughs> 170 so, points. Same point as Tony Arbolino, who on countback gets into second. Ayagura is the great Japanese hope riding uh, second year, wasn't it, for Honda Team Asia? Yes, yeah, it was. Um, every, and, uh, every opportunity racing limited, uh, basically, when you're a Japanese r- running for Honda. Came, came into this season with an avowed intent to win a race, which yes. he hadn't done in the category before, had he? But, but uh, you look at look at his performance. He he, he did almost after everything we said about uh, about the depth and the the uh, competition in Moto Three. His start the season until uh, he got to Catalonia, which is basically half the season, was almost it's almost impossible to do as well as what as he did. He had uh, he had. I'm gonna to have to count them up: one, two, three, four, five, six podiums. Yeah, which is that's incredible. Absolute championship uh, form. Absolutely yes. championship. In, in exactly what we said about Moto Three, that kind of consistency marks you out as a championship contender. And half the season gone, yeah. we're going. Oh, hello, hello. Yeah. this could be and this could be important for Honda. Arenas was winning more, but he also was was finishing less races. So Arenas was marginally ahead, but but Agura didn't. Wouldn't have had to do a lot from then on. When you look at the championship, but how Arenas finished the championship, Ogura didn't have to do that much, but he couldn't qualify. Mm. He and to be honest, uh, I feel really that the just he wilted under the pressure of it. Suddenly realised, hang on, I can win this world championship, and and it just all vanished. Like he he uh, from Catalonia onwards, he. He had one podium, and then the yep. best result after that was eighth. And he still lost the championship by four points. Oh, it was maddening. It's it was maddening to watch incredible. him. I got so frustrated with him. You know, he qualified badly. Even if he didn't qualify badly, he got a bad start. He got out of the lead group and then started fighting with somebody instead of trying to get back into the lead group. Literally, it was like, uh, it was like Black Hawk Down. Watch the second half of his season. And what I mean by that is if you've ever watched Black Hawk Down and the first time you watch it, you go, oh, don't go back for him. You can't go back for him because you'll get, oh, they've gone back for him. It, it, and everything that could possibly, that you would have said, no, no, don't, don't. I, I really hope he doesn't do, oh, he's just done it. Oh, it, that's it. it that oh, was yeah, absolutely yes. it. Yes, it, uh uh, it's uh, which is the Griffin Dunn Martin Scorsese film where he's stuck out all night and uh, uh, and he keeps every decision he makes is terrible. Uh, that was Ayagura's uh, second half of the season. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Is that about last night? I think that's it. Yeah, uh, I think, yes, yeah. I think it is. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the, the thing is, it's so important for Honda to to have a Japanese rider coming up through the ladder system that they will persist with them and. You know, he, he's going to be given, as you said, every chance racing. Um, I hope 
that he gets his head right and turns it around. But he, I mean, he's he's not even in this category, and certainly not with Japanese riders on the ladder system. He he's not unique in in his head all of a sudden imploding at a part of the season, and and there's a barrier. There seems to be a barrier once yeah, but, once he get once he gets to a, a you know a good position. But you know what. And what still, no victories. Is, still no victories. Yeah, but what's fascinating to me, John, is that he's obviously getting going through the same path that Taka Nakagami did, where he's being now exactly moved what I'm about. Yeah. To, to the Honda Team Asia Moto2 team. Yeah. And, and I'm, interestingly enough, Nakagami had a relatively similar career exactly. path. And yet then is now proven himself capable of the top level, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. But I'm not, I don't have the same vibe of Agora that, to be to be the the Japanese rider uh, in the in the category uh, Honda's rider in the category, that's important. And if he if he can't cope with the pressure in Moto three, I don't know how he's going to cope with the pressure in Moto two. Uh, and or subsequently Moto GP. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and exactly. And put it this way: if 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 it's not a surprise that Rule Fernandez. Uh, based on his second half of the season, gets promoted to Moto2. I would suggest it is absolutely a surprise that Ayagura, uh w- makes the same step. But he, but he is doing so. Fair play to him. So we move on. Second place. Started the season as one of the title favourites. Absolutely justified. Tony Arbolino with the Snipers team for third year. The man from... Uh, Gabagnate Milanese. He's Italian, if you hadn't guessed that. Um, <laughs> from that, it could not have been from a more uh, Italian spot. also fantastically quick. He, he, uh, well, he should have won the championship. The, the, yeah. there's, there's no doubt. He loses the championship by four points and had to miss races because... Missed he, one race. He missed, he missed one, one race. race. Um, yeah. Because uh, the Itali- of the Italian lockdown rules, he was caught on track and trace. Somebody that he sat next to on a plane uh, tested uh, f- uh, positive for COVID-19. And with the Italian track and trace rules, Italian national, this is nothing to do with GP or Moto3. This was all his country. He had to self-isolate and therefore missed a race. He gets so, he gets no points for that at all. Not an average finish. Not anything. And I think and I I think he was robbed. I think that's unfair. So when it's out of your own hands, it's absolutely amazing when you look. And at he never it. tested it, positive, it, by the way. At any no, stage. he never tested positive. And in hard numbers that we always say it's unfair to look at, unless it's uh, unless it's Fabio Quartararo's results. <laughs> uh, it, when you look at the hard numbers, they're amazing. Ah. He didn't have. We talked about everybody having a. You know, everybody gets out of a get out of jail free. Everybody gets a retirement. So if you mm. retire, like every. No, he didn't. He didn't. His only. His lack of results was entirely down to the fact that he wasn't in one race. Yeah. He finished in the points in every race. That's amazing. And if you. So he comes off uh, two podiums in Catalonia and France, and then unfortunately we have this track and trace issue where he's not allowed run an Aragon one. Mm. Nobody's going to tell me that he wasn't going to pick up some points. All he needed to do was finish 11th or better. And he said, and he would have, he's the champion. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely painful. So, what was his average finish on the season? Oh, boy. Uh, I, I, I'm it, not it, that smart. It, it, but it's, but uh, it, has to, it has to be 7th or 8th. Yeah. No probably, worse is, than 7th or 8th. 
which is nuts in Model 3. Now, you know, that, uh, in fairness, you might say, well, maybe what they could have done was had one dropped score on the year, and he would have dropped a zero, so he would have still been on uh, 170. Albert Arenas, um, he had a non-finish, so he would have still been uh, on 174. So that, that wouldn't have changed it. And, and do you know what? I, I, I wouldn't have had so much of a problem. Uh, but John, that. I think it, philosophically, in 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 a in the type of championship that Moto Three is, I think it's it is not a, an unreasonable uh, statement to say that drop scores probably should be allowed. Because how many times will you be a victim of somebody else's accident in 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 well, air? This, it happens this, all the time. This year, it happens to everybody. But this year in particular, Dex, you did we didn't know how many races we were going to have, so you know. When, when Arbelino had to miss that first race, that could have been the penultimate round. We didn't know how much further it was going at that time. I mean, it was it was absolutely, this year was the year to make that kind of brave decision. I mean, ifs and ands, pots and pans, aunties, uncles, etc. But I, I really felt for Tony Arbelino. I, I, I can't, honestly, I'd have to think very hard, but I can't remember him putting a wheel wrong. He wasn't always, you know, on the podium, but as you said, he was never out of the points. That's an no, extraordinary he, thing. He was enormously, enormously impressive and very fast, particularly the end of the season. Didn't necessarily, the results didn't absolutely show. Get, gets the win in Valencia 2 uh, and puts himself in a chance at the, at the championship. But, and the you know what the, the brilliant thing is? I, 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 it's suddenly dawning on me as I look through this list that that, uh, that uh, all of these guys are making the jump now yeah, yeah. to... To uh, to the to the top. Oh, beg your pardon. To, to Moto Two, all of them. Yeah. It's which is fantastic for them. It's fantastic for the series. It's in terms of the, what the series can do for a rider, and it's also fantastic for next year because it clears away all these riders, and we now have basically everybody else now filling that gap. Oh, uh, and, Moto and so Three. Racing is going to... Moto Three next year is going to be outstanding. Moto yes. Two next year with these guys graduating up. I think Arbelino will be magnificent. I think Mar- it'll take him, it'll take him a little while to get used to the different bike, as 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 we've said. But Arbelino in Moto Two, uh, uh, it's box office as far as well, I'm concerned. Uh, him and and, uh, and I have to say, I think Raul Fernandez might oh, might come might come out of the traps oh, pretty fast. Uh, Let's quickly uh, talk can't... about Alberto Arena. So oh, well, you champion. can't not talk about him. Yes, absolutely. Well Brilliant done to the Spaniards. KTM yes. um, win the championship. Uh, four points, as we said, in the end. Uh, listen, everything that I've said uh, about Arbelino, take nothing away uh, from the man from Girona. Uh, he did a, a really, really good job. Uh, back with Aspar, KTM again. Uh, you know, I, 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 remember, I remember his victory in Thailand last year. Um, that was a great ride. He, he, he rode well uh, second in Japan and third in Australia last year. Um, all coming back after uh, an injury in the early part of last year. Uh, and he, and he, the end of the season, he, he took that, that momentum from the end of last season when he was back fit again into the start of this year. And despite the big pause, I, I thought yeah. he put a good season together. I really did. He did. He did something almost impossible. He brought momentum from last season into Qatar and then somehow continued it in Spain, which is a despite Kept being going, a yeah. massive break. And ultimately, what won him the championship was he was able to mitigate the retirements and some of them we discussed that weren't his fault. Mm-hmm. He was able to mitigate them by basically never. If you think about every race, and if you think about the battles at the front, 
Albert Arenas was probably in all of them. Yep. You know, which means he was generally in contention for a win every week. But did which you notice, an... Dex, he wasn't always, always at the front, if that makes sense. He'd be sitting yes. on the back of the Leeds group. He was like Jimmy Johnson in the last 50 miles of a 500-mile race. All of a sudden, he would just... Oh, was it? I didn't realise Arenas was in this group. He wouldn't show necessarily at the front. And then all of a sudden, bush, yeah, he's up there. he did that. Now, the reason... Uh, kind of, I get, I get a really strong vibe about him is because that's such a difficult thing to do in that category. And the last man I remember doing it w- with that much aplomb is, funnily enough, is the uh, is the 2020 MotoGP World Champion, which is Joanne Mir, who in mm. 20 in 2017 w- had had that ability to. He did this thing all the time where he'd uh, he'd sit there never out of the top few, and then uh, he won so many races. By doing the thing where it's ah, oh, you've had your fun now. I'm off, and he'd win by you know uh, by three three tenths of a second or, but and Arenas was not quite the same, but not far off that ability. And to be able to do that, he has reached a very very high level of consistency. And again, another man graduating mm. next year with Aspar to the uh, to run the, his big problem next year, and we'll get to is is the fact that uh, Aspar uh, are are on. Uh, are on speed ups and I'm on that there's a giant novelty question mark hanging not literally that would be insane although I, easy, I would right? like to say that at, uh, at the From test a commentator's Kitter, yeah. point of view it would be very helpful I would have thought but, uh, com- but <laughs> gather yourselves together listeners congratulations to Alberto Arenas uh, for brilliant. Yes. for brilliant. a brilliant brilliant season uh, I'm so pleased that Tony Alvarado still gets the chance to move up and not winning the championship actually in that respect doesn't cost him we're in the middle sort of uh, of our um, uh, uh, support class uh, roundup from 2020 the review of 2024 Moto E Moto 3 and next Declan Brennan stays with us as we go on to Moto 2 right then so take a deep breath as we get ready to go into uh, Moto 2 I, I alluded to this earlier Dex uh, about Moto 2 of all the categories well, first of all love the new Triumph engine uh, everybody's got that getting their heads around that now it's great it sounds fantastic it does the job brilliantly but I have to say there is something about Moto 2 and I I can only describe it thus is that everybody else does look like they're on race bikes so Moto 3 even Moto E and certainly Moto JP everybody looks like they're on race bikes that's what they look like there's have been more than the odd race this year in Moto 2 where it looks like it's actually guys on a track day. And I don't say that because I don't think these guys are trying. Clearly, they are. I don't say that because I think the bikes aren't race bikes because clearly they are. But they just don't seem to turn, change direction, even stop in the same way as the other two categories do. Now... The reason I'm bringing this up is because I don't think that makes it easier to race them. I think it makes them harder because it's not as if these guys aren't trying, aren't hanging off them, aren't getting to ridiculous angles. But I don't know whether it's they're a little bit longer in the wheels and it makes them a bit more lazy to turn. But the guys look like they are working actually quite hard on those bikes. They are. And I think you're absolutely correct. And Dunlop's tyre has been described by numerous people as being... Uh, Difficult. On, only one step above uh, ebony, or uh, oh, too hard. 
Uh, just, just not a not. It's the opposite of the new, of the I now knew the one year old uh, Michigan rear in MotoGP. Uh, Michigan, Michigan, <laughs> Michelin rear in MotoGP. Uh, it's it, which was super sticky. This oh, these tires are are they added a, a larger front tire for mm. twenty twenty, and the tire compounds just are they don't produce a lot of grip, and to that effect, MotoGP for a lot of riders tends to be super hit and miss. You mm. you you have it a week one weekend, you don't the next. There's in some respects only a tiny group of people seemed to be able to consistently find performance and one or two of them later in the year did and we we saw some people emerge and we'll talk about in a minute uh but but it was almost like that elite group at the top and and the and the uh the scoring kind of bears that out in terms of we had uh six riders uh, into three figures in terms of scoring and then then everybody else just and and the results were were even for the top riders were all over the place. And if you don't mind, I want to just give you a couple of examples of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, riders like, for example, Jake Dixon, who started the season. Uh, actually, it's a wonderful story. He starts the season uh, with Patronus Sprinter and he doesn't know he's going to be kept on. Led laps this uh, year, Dex. He did. Led some and, laps. Then, and, then, and then it all started to click mid-season. And then, of course, he had... Uh, tragedy in Catalonia where he f- fell off when he was leading uh, uh, sorry that was France wasn't it mm. when he fell off when he was leading uh, and should have won uh, and in tears afterwards but but did enough and then it, it really began to come together and he was constantly running in the, uh, at the front end of the grid and he obviously got his contract renewed for next year which is fantastic and One he had of guys like 11 riders that led race laps this year yeah which is, yeah, which is really that's really interesting because ultimately the, the the racing for the most part was led by uh by that that elite group that we'll talk about but other guys that read led races like uh just the guys that you know struggling on the speed up chassis uh guys like fabio di gian antonio who who led uh a race at uh valencia for about 15 seconds and fell off yeah, uh, you know, quite the close to the two end. laps. He, he led two laps. Yeah. All yeah, you're right. He, he did get a couple of podiums. Got a second, did, but, and, and a third. But making this, and Navarro fell off literally every week trying to. And I feel almost it Fabio was even Gian Antonio, though. I, I mean, first of all, he's got the best name on the grid. Him and uh, Lorenzo yes, Baldessari, actually, lovely, um, fabulous. They had they had to be something in motorsport um, with, with with names like that. But they were uh, they were absolutely brilliant. Uh, uh, explanations. It's windows, though, John. It's all. It's all. It's, it's you know the speed up worked when it worked, and yes. they did what they can. But oftentimes they're pushing it so hard that they, both of them, particularly Jorge Navarro, fell off an awful lot quickly. Uh, and don't for, let's not forget Stefano Manzi as well, who got pole position by accident. Um, <laughs> yes, he did on the MP Augusta. And let's talk, and then right at the end, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about one of forty nine pole moving. position sitters this year. <laughs> Baldessari's move into the MV Augusta team next year, which I think, um, let's talk about it, about Baldessari. Baldessari starts off the season with the second place and then just his form and his confidence just disappeared almost. Only, only podium he had all year. He led a single lap uh, and finishes, you know, at the bottom end of the top 10. And the man who started the Triumph era winning for fun. In fact, he was 12th, sorry. Uh it starts the Triumph era last year, winning for fun. Now is moving to uh, to the MV chassis next year, uh, which 
I don't think anybody believes has a chance of, of doing anything really. And, and you wonder... Not even uh, Stefano yeah, Manzi who got that well, ball position. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, you wonder, is Baldessari... Uh, is this a chance to, to reinvigorate his career or is this him? He was mega in Moto 3. He was yeah, mega and, in Moto 3. But he was brilliant in, in Moto 2 last year at the start of the season. He was just superb. But So Baldessari is another one. Kanet uh, is incredibly fast. Uh, and again, a guy building up his strength and his tattoo base. Because, uh, but, but next year, based on the amount of tattoos he had this year, his entire face and his hat will be covered in tattoos next year. But did you hear? Uh, did you hear the theory about that as well, though? This is quite serious. Um, that in the hotter races, and bear in mind we didn't do some of the flyaways this year, but they think that he might have a disadvantage in the hotter races because he has so much ink on his skin that it it doesn't breathe in the same way as anybody else. Now, listen, I'm not criticising anybody for body art at all, and and I don't know whether that's true, but that has been mentioned in the paddock. I mean, he only got 67 points this year. Did get a pole position, mind you. Um, Puts him down... he, he's better than that, though. Fourteen. Yeah, of course position. he is. He's better he's, than that. He's, he's the same, uh, like just like we talked about in in, in uh, the previous category. He was so so fast in, in Moto Three and a bit wild, and mm. he has a bit of an attitude. But uh, but there's the one thing that y- y- you want from a rider. Uh, Jeremy Shaw talks about this all the time. The one thing you do want for a rider is speed. Mm. Everything else he can work on. Yes. His big issue is staying in. Uh, on the speed-up chassis next year is going to be tough for him. Uh, we looked at uh, uh, at Baldessari and uh, already and and Lou, Tom Thomas Ludi, my goodness, just uh, moving from the outhouse from the penthouse after being in, in, in MotoGP and then moving back and having so much success and just him and Schroeder both really struggled uh, on the in on on the uh, on the with the Dynavolt team they had the odd good result but Schroeder better than him uh, Ludi almost never featured and that's extraordinary for a man of his experience and his his ability but uh, so I, I want to again quickly he's, he's never Ludi has never got back to the heights of 2016 when he was second in the championship in, in Moto2 has he and he should uh, not, he could have won that year but possibly should have won that year he's also uh, he's so much experience now but, but, but at some stage uh, experience just turns into old age <laughs> well, it's like it's that's, he, he's, he was born in 1986, so he's significantly older than most of the guys we've already been talking about. There'll be moto. There'll be moto there will be moto uh, two riders, I'd say, but definitely moto three riders who are half, literally half his age, half his age. Yeah, which is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I like him. I like his riding style as oh, well. But, and he's Swiss, Swiss, Swiss. Hop Swiss, yeah. yeah. Possibly, so, possibly doesn't quite have the killer instinct, is what I would say. I remember a race in, um, um, blah, 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 blah. it was in, it was the Kuala Lumpur race, um, and uh, he, he should have won that, and he that would have put him, that would have given him the championship. That's all, yeah. He's he always, I always feel he's uh, too nice that, in some respects. That's maybe it. So let, let's j- jump on the Vierge for a minute uh, quickly. I just want to talk about, we've talked about Schroeder ahead of him, but I want to talk uh, very quickly talk about Vierge. Vierge uh, got, uh, uh, again, uh, one of these guys who, who has the has the backing of uh, Patronus Sprinter, mm-hmm. Stiggerfeld and uh, Zielenberg believe in him. They are, uh, I would say that 
mid early to mid season he just start it started the click for um, and there were times when he and Jake Dixon were both at the front of the field mm. uh, and he's he's back next year as well and I think that's huge for him uh, they've shown a lot of confidence in him and I think he'll be significantly better next year uh, he'll be a, a much more of a threat for for top fives and podiums and maybe even a win uh, next year weirdly. Uh, if we we briefly talked about Trotter, uh, Nagashima Nagashima is the uh, well one of only seven riders to win a race. Yes, this year and, and the worst placed rider in the final standings to win yes. a race. Also got a second, couple of race fastest lap and three pole positions. Yes, uh, sorry, well, no three three laps he led. Um, which you know, considering one of those was in the race that he won, um, he, he seemed. You would look at the stats and say he seemed to maximise what he's got. But I'm I, I'm not sure he got enough podiums this year for the no for for, fact, what, for what's been spoken about him. In fact, amazingly, uh, as I went through my notes, uh, basically by the time he got to uh, let me see, by the time. By the time he got to the seventh race, so by the time he got to, to, to San Marino, in my notes, it's Nagashima crashes, uh, title chances gone. Yeah. So for a man wow. who starts the season first with a first and a second, he has 45 points. Mm-hmm. He is, uh, but by literally within five races, uh, two 11th of retirement, a fourth in a retirement, followed up then by a 23rd. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd gone. It was just, uh, he just couldn't. And he didn't even... Uh, he didn't even uh, revert to the form he'd found with the SAG team the previous year when he was st- when he was consistently running in the top ten and he couldn't do it. So it just absolutely just an immense struggle. Massive props to Joe Roberts. I'm going to say as we we move forward, seventh, up, up, yeah. seventh. Uh, they perfect example of a, a, a small team uh, who. Uh, Always a lot of pressure. Always a lot of pressure on an American as well coming into the MotoGP. It's his team. Yeah, it's yeah. his team. Got a uh, third on the year, I think, and uh, ran a couple of laps in first positions. And uh, and yeah, and led, uh, fell off while leading. Uh, but the what what's important? Uh, he's actually moving to the Etal Trans to so the Champions next year, which is a uh, huge for him after after being, uh, you know, being sniffed at by uh, by Aprilla for the. Mm. For for the GP ride, so yes. uh, partially I think that due to his the fact that he is an American, I think that it, it was it's one of the Dex, things. That, he's got uh, the pace. He, he was yes, he does. He, he got you know he and Sam Laws tied on three for pole positions, which were the best. That was the best number of pole positions uh, of anyone over the year. So he has got the pace. Yes, I, I, I think he just needs to understand himself and the bike maybe a, a little bit more. One more year for him will not be the worst thing in the world. No, oh. Absolutely not. No, uh, and and the same goes for uh, for Remy Gardner. Uh, who well, is... at a big jump in points here, we should say the reason that we sort of started around the bottom end of the top ten, but ninety four points for Joe Roberts, and then a hundred and thirty five for Remy Gardner. Um, and by the way, all the top thirteen were Calix chassis. Just to underline what Dex was saying about the speed up, notwithstanding um, the one speed up pull uh, that we talked about for Stefano Manzi accidentally um, the uh, oh that was a K no, that, uh, sorry that no that was a, was a KTM that was, an MV Augusta, that was an MV Augusta poll even uh, more hilarious yes absolutely right absolutely right um, so <laughs> so let, let's let's talk about Remy then uh, with 135 points a little bit of a no man's land well ahead of Joe Roberts in 7th uh, but actually about the same number of points 
near enough behind Jorge Martin in in fifth position. What about the Aussie then? I began to think he he was the real deal uh, uh, much later than a lot of other people. And I know this sounds funny, but he uh, he went to Qatar this year. And just previous year, finished fourth, just missed his first podium by like a, a, a gazillionth of a second. Uh, he went to Qatar this year, and uh, I was so impressed with that fifth place because. Uh, on a tire that people weren't familiar with, he was on a year old, he's running a year old Calix chassis, mm-hmm. not even running the latest chassis. And, uh, he, uh, pushed to the front early on and, uh, and then dropped back in that race and then came through, uh, for a fifth place, started to pick people off. And to be honest, I don't even remember the race, but, probably if he if he'd worked a little harder or just been a little smarter he may have even won uh won that race uh, if he maybe had another lap or two and it, and it then I just made me realize yeah I think he really this he's got it this year he knows he's he understands what he has and how to use it yeah. and that bike oftentimes I think let him down and uh, when and he scored points when he could uh and and then and then got his first podium at Styria uh, we should, a, we uh, should say, massively experienced for one he is, so young. very young. Yeah, very young. And he's been on massively experienced on not very good bikes, John. Well, in, I Aust- in Australia, I, I think he was on, I mean, he was doing motocross and, and off-road enduros. But Honda Australia got him involved in what is brilliantly called the Nippers Championship, which is for riders under 13. Next year, he moved to Spain. To run in the the Mediterranean, yes. he has done that Mediterranean thing, Absolutely. Southern Europe thing. So, CIV, um, he was on Mahindra. Um, he, he went to Tech Three uh, in seventeen and eighteen, and that the momentum was really with him. And then in eighteen, he had a horrible, horrible accident in training, didn't he? And with two broken legs, um, he had to rebuild from that point. Uh, but he, he has got the experience. He's clearly got the speed. It runs in the family. Yes, it is the same gardener. He's, I think he's the eldest son of, of Wayne Gardner, isn't he? Um, so there's more coming along uh, behind uh, as well. <laughs> but he's quite a big lad, 72 kilos and quite tall. He's my height, you know, uh, 178, 180 uh, centimetres, you know, getting on for... 5'10", 5'11". That's big. That's tall. It's long. And 72 kilos, probably not very heavy for him. But, wh- you know, how does he lose weight? There's no, there's no more weight for him to lose. I will say uh, all of those things are true. And uh, and uh, that is one of those things that, that clearly is not going to help him. You can't. It's, it, it's hard to be big. It's hard to be Danilo Petrucci's size and consistently compete. But he's going to have to get around that. I will say... Uh, He brings momentum into next year. Mm-hmm. He gets to ride uh, uh, for for the basically for the for the the, the KTM team, uh, which is absolutely fantastic for him. I'm, I couldn't be happier for him. He's on the the Red Bull KTM Agile uh, Calex, but he finished the season with a win. Yeah, uh, a hugely important win for him. It just uh, to 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 bring that into next year and my favorite moment was during in that absolutely 
epic battle with Luca Marini, who's trying to get back ahead because Luca Marini thinks he has to win in order to have any chance of winning the uh, winning the world title uh, in the last race in Portugal. And there's a moment with two to go where he has to stay ahead into turn five. And he has the thing, the most sideways I think I've ever seen a motorcycle. So the lock stops. And it was absolutely one of the most... It was like watching motorcycle drifting, if that, if that actually exists. Like the, like all those scenes in uh, Mission Impossible 2 on the air, uh, on on, on, uh, on motorcycles. He Bizarrely on a he, Triumph as well, to be honest. Yeah, yes. He had the thing completely sideways. It was like Supermoto. It was Think yes, Supermoto with all the weight yeah. on the front wheel and the back end trying to overtake the front. It was extraordinary. And it was making himself the the literal interpretation of making yourself as wide as possible, and it and he and he was he was stunning, and he he held off Marini on on this year's Calex in a better funded team, and a guy that absolutely had to win, and Remy didn't uh, didn't play second fiddle. He gave him you know no quarter asked or given, and was absolutely brilliant, and I, I that performance. If he carries that into next year, then that's, that's I think be sensational. I think he will be one of the riders because of what we've talked about with his size. And, and to a certain extent, his riding style and his off-road uh, experience when he started on two wheels. I think one more year in Moto2, and then he, I think he needs to go up to MotoGP. I think he's one of these people who needs to get into MotoGP early. Yeah, I, it's funny. The paddock, I think the paddock thinks the same thing. And, huh? the, and, and, the, and the journalists, the journos, I think, think the same thing. That he's, that there's an inevitability, not just because he's Wayne's son. Because Wayne, don't believe, has that much sway with regards to... The, the problem he will have uh, in terms of graduation is that... And, and we see this in motorsport all the time. You get... Uh, it's almost like you get years where there's a ton of change and then there's none. Correct. Uh, and there's been a huge amount of upheaval uh, for next year. If you think of all of the VR46 guys, all the guys who are moving into... Uh, he in, might be a year too late or yes. three years too early, whichever, yeah, way, correct. whichever way you look at it. He could have been doing with moving up into MotoGP this year and having next year's year that we think he's going to have in the team that he's going to have. If that had been this year for him, he would have been in a shoe-in, surely, to go yeah, up into MotoGP. This way, I think uh, if his problems uh, would be if... Iker Lekawona starts to perform. Yeah. yeah. Because everybody else uh, who's going to be in that team, uh, like uh, in, in across the four bikes, uh, are all Grand Prix winners. Correct. And, uh, and if he starts performing, then there's there suddenly isn't anywhere for, for Remy to go uh, if uh, they have settled squad across uh, within, if he stays within that. But if he wins group. the World Championship, somebody is going to sign him. Uh, the thing and, we should and, say is, unlike four-wheel motorsport and the progression to Formula One, the there is a lot more store put on the ladder system in MotoGP. It's always yeah, in the same paddock. Um, the it's it's been for a very long time now. MotoGP, Moto Two, Moto Three, which makes it easy for everybody to understand the progression, uh, whether you're in the paddock or outside of it. Uh, they try as you move through the categories to give you more toys to play with, whether it's uh, electronics and, and uh, such like to get you used to what you're doing and, and the bikes get quicker. But also, it is absolutely known within the paddock. And actually, I think the biggest thing, in fact, I was going to say it's known who's doing well because 
you know, it's not always all about the machine. But what I would say is there are so many of the top teams decks who run satellite teams or or who have direct An links to, to, yes. to two or three. Anyway, that yeah. that's my bit on that. Let's let's move on to Jorge Martin, who was fifth in the championship, 160 points. Uh, his stats look pretty good with two two firsts, two seconds, three thirds, uh, uh, one race fastest lap and one pole. Uh, no, that's not him at all. No, that is right. Uh, that is right. Uh, and he's led 46 laps by well, the uh, the numbers I have here. And don't forget, he lost uh, the win, which would have been back-to-back wins in Austria, home of KTM, his team. He lost the win for a a final lap, teeny weeny oh, track yes. limit. Went on the green. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yes, absolutely. Millimeters. Which, millimeters yeah. we're talking. Game of inches. But, and, and, and which gave, uh, if I remember correctly, that gave Bezeki the win. Correct. They were finished above him. For the win. Yeah, so he, from very early on in the year, he knew he was making the, the, the leap to, to to MotoGP. And Jorge Martin is, is an odd one because, because there's been a belief, I feel, in the paddock that he's kind of had a preordained move yeah. to MotoGP since his Moto3 days. Yeah. So I don't know if that got in his head. Uh, granted, he... Uh, uh, the combination of that and then COVID, him losing two races because of COVID, mm-hmm. and then Another immediately rider. followed by two, two two retirements. So he basically went four races in a row without scoring any points. Yeah. Uh, and and basically that meant that as we got into the the final uh, part of the season, he he wasn't really in a position to uh, to impact uh, for, uh, make a bid for the championship. But he did uh, finish on the podium uh, in Valencia and then uh, in the first one and won the second one. Uh, he's fabulously quick and uh, another guy who I think is going to make a very smooth transition on the Ducati in MotoGP. Uh, just uh, consistency will be the only, will be the, 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 the question ultimately. Uh, granted, if you, uh, if you add the four races in that he, did, I think he probably certainly would have been challenging come oh, yes. come uh, come come the, the final round in Portugal. But no doubting his ability, it, none whatsoever. Interesting to me that Martin is twenty four points behind Marco Bezzecchi, who is in fourth position. And any of you who know a bit about the sport will remember, I am sure, the phenomenal title battle that those two had uh, in twenty eighteen in Moto yes. three. Um, which was absolutely fantastic. Martin won out at the end, but it was the final part of the season where Marco Bersecki did uh, some good work. Again, his stats look pretty good. He led laps. He had a couple of wins, a couple of seconds, three thirds, a fastest lap, a pole position. The, the stats, interestingly, as we always say, don't, don't tell the full story. But what's interesting in Moto, G, uh, in Moto 2 this year, particularly Dex, is once you get into the top, five the stats look remarkably similar um for those top riders in terms of how many races seconds thirds fastest laps oh laps yeah led. The- it, it's, ve- it's it was very very even and and, a, and a, a better race one way or the other um better or worse race one way or the other for any of these riders would have shuffled it up when you consider that from Bezecchi in fourth to the win was 21 points yeah, and if you include Martin because of because of the two missed races, of course. basically these are the five 
effectively separated themselves in terms of uh, their, they were the leading their, group again, back to their, their medium performance uh, every week and and Bezeki his championship was derailed at Aragon with two retirements mm. uh, basically he uh, really architect of his own downfall and if you look at the championship effectively everybody in that top four had the same number of of non of either retirements disqualifications or didn't did not start they all in and around the same other than the man who won it and we'll get to at the end but Bezeki was uh magnificently quick at times but in fairness his fourth place in the championship is probably representative mm. and i think the it will do him the world of good and without question he has to be the nailed on favorite now that he's staying in the championship yes. and staying with VR46 yes. to win the championship yes. in fact if i'm rossi i'm take putting i'm taking him into a small room and uh, and very gently threatening him uh, he, he really really i know it's very hard uh, it's it's a tough championship to win and it's very hard to but if any anybody uh, is the favorite for next year it's marco bezecchi and uh, but, and the interesting part is john is that it gets it goes under the radar a little bit that he spent the first part of the year injured he was he was That's walking around uh the paddock on a crutch at yep. one point yeah you know like he, so uh and so uh, he comes back, uh, and funnily enough, the man who finished above him uh, will be having the same conversation. Well, he finished uh, the season on a crutch. <laughs> yeah, almost, yeah. almost. I mean, Sam Laws gets. I mean, all of these guys are heroes. But my goodness me, talk about um, talk about Iron Man performances. Sam Laws at the last race of the season in Portugal was just mighty, absolutely mighty. He jumped onto. The, into the VDS, Mark VDS squad, the Australia uh, Galicia 0.0 squad, who were the defending champions from, from last year. Ties on points with Luca Marini, only nine points behind the eventual champion. A championship contender, yes, absolutely. Three wins, that was the best anybody uh, got all year. Three positions, best anybody got all year. His, champ, his uh, tally on the podium, as good as anybody else that year. Injuries, injuries for Sam just took the yeah. just took the edge for me off yeah. of his performance. I said, well, there was a couple of places as well where uh, was it the first or he missed Qatar? Don't forget with a shoulder injury. He tried oh, to practice. God, and yes, couldn't. good point. And that's and the, then and that's... then he then he fell off at um, Simoncelli, Marco Simoncelli uh, as well, didn't he? When he was in for a good good result. Um, or am I misremembering that? But there was there was a couple of things across the year. But man, he was beaten up from the start. Of the, so he did start the start at the end of the season beaten up. That and his run. If you, if you think about it, uh, the, he lost the championship by nine points. And uh, it's funny we can talk about probably the top three, particularly with this in mind. But he lost it by nine points, the same t- number as uh, Marini lost, and Marini. Dominated Qatar, and we we'll get to that. We we'll get to that in a second. Before coll- collapsing, just and, and and then retiring on the last lap and not scoring any points. But Lowe's didn't even compete at Qatar. And if you think about it, all he needed, and we talked about this earlier on, but all he would have needed was a sixth uh, or a seventh, and he could be world champion. But the key was ultimately what did him in. 
in some respects was he he caught fire uh, in the second uh, race in Italy. Uh, he got he got the his first podium. Uh, Barton, uh, his second podium of the season, and then he won three in a row, and was chasing down the leader uh, Bezeki in uh, in Valencia number one, and uh, he it was a turn five. He uh, he 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 knocked. He fell off, and I believe that. It has since been uh, been uh, decided that it was uh, it was at a turn six, and it was actually a mechanical error, it wasn't human error, because it was a, a very low speed crash, and that ultimately just brought like all momentum disappeared, and then he had the accident in Valencia, and he rode into the points in enormous pain. Uh, in Valencia and basically the same again did an unbelievable job in Portugal so so ultimately one has to say that his shoulder injury at the start of the season arguably was the was the deciding factor because it just left him behind the eight ball and he was constantly catching up and it meant that he didn't have any margin for error and that error came in uh, in in Valencia how good is he how good is Sam Laws in uh, you know he's That's a, a he's a, he's a Brit so he gets a lot of coverage uh, on on the TV that that we watch because that's an English language uh, commentary team. They know him very well. They talk to him a lot as well on the, the BT Sport coverage that, that I watch. But how good is Sam Laws? I think he is good. I think, but he but he is getting he's getting on age wise now, isn't he? Thirty. So uh, I think. It's a it's a funny old career. He's clearly good. He was winning. He was winning in in Moto Two. You know, uh, uh, in the mid in the mid part of the of this decade. Uh, sometimes I think when you make the step up, and we've talked about this in every branch of two and four wheel sport. If you're in the wrong team at the wrong time, it can be a real real like he could have his career could have just come to a shuddering halt with his year at Apria, which did nothing, excuse me, did nothing for him. And then he came back into Moto2. And even last year, when he moved, he moved to the uh, Grassini team and the Federal Oil bike and mm, went back couldn't, them, didn't he? Yeah. and had to, and just was crashing as much. And that was because the bike, he couldn't make the bike work. Uh, and that wasn't him. Clearly, we, as we thought at the time, it was probably, it may have been him, but it wasn't, it was the bike. And he gets on, he finally gets, uh, in Moto2 gets on the right chassis with the right team. Well, uh, with, with Mark VDS and defending champion team, mate, you can't knock that. Can you? Absolutely. And, and by the second half of the season, he is clearly the, uh, man to beat. He is clearly the, uh, the, like, look at that, that string of performances, third, second, first, first, first falls off while second. And then the injury comes and that's it. That's it. Yeah. And he loses the championship by nine points, having missed the first race. So, so I mean, is he again? We're talking about fine margins. Fine here. margins, yes. And and the, the three of the five men uh, in the top five are all graduating with absolute. Uh, it's absolutely fair enough that those three are are graduating to um, MotoGP. Yeah. So that's Martin, Marini, and Bastianini. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk and, about Luca Marini. 
Um, but I was just going to say with Sam Lowe's, he, oh, yeah. Sorry. If, if, he, if he got an opportunity, absolutely deserves it. 100% yeah. he's good enough to at least get another shot at MotoGP. Uh, Marini came into the season as one of the undoubted favourites for Moto2 with uh, VR46 Sky Racing team. Uh, he ends up again, ultimately, nine points off the championship, uh, off the championship win. Actually led the most laps this year, not by much, uh, 85 laps. Um, he led next best was uh, 65, I think, which was Bezeki. Uh, three wins, three seconds, uh, no other podium visits. Uh, one fastest lap, couple of poles. You'd look at that and think, ah, oh, he's had a kind of year. He's had it's a kind good of year. year. I, I think he had a very good year. Yes, he but did. He di- but he didn't win the championship. Now, ultimately, as as we've said, it's not going to matter. He's still going to he's still going to move up. But it, it, will he take that as a stigma, or, or no, will he just say, no. "Nah, I did a good job"? Not at all. I think I think he's there, uh, and we'll get to get to why I, I I would be very very certain that he doesn't he wouldn't be beating himself up about that. I'll tell you why. First of all. If he had any reason to beat himself, it would be his complete misjudgment of the of the Dunlop tire at the. At, but then again, which is understandable because it was brand new to every. It was brand new to everybody. Yeah. And he he decided two thirds of the way through uh, the, the opening round that he wanted to uh, push the gap that he had, and he 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 really really tried to to put in some qualifying laps to break away from the field mm. and ultimately extraordinarily the tire just disappeared and he ended up I don't even remember he ended up I think he ended up in 17th out of the points and then fell off on the last lap yep. and didn't score any points mm-hmm. uh, and then the only other issue we had in terms of his competitiveness for the most part was was that uh, fateful uh, second practice at, oh, yes. uh, at in France yes, when coming under the Dunlop Bridge he had one of the most frightening high sides I've ever seen. Ever seen. It was absolutely extraordinary. He was so and far he... off the bike, he was being talked in by air traffic control at the uh, <laughs> at the airport neck on the other side of the road. And and there is no doubt that it took him uh it took him three or four races. Because if you look, he he raced in France and didn't score any points. He really wasn't fit. No, he wasn't. Uh, until I'm not even sure till Portugal. By the way, how good is the safety equipment? We, I mean, we, we said this in Moto, uh, the MotoGP, but how good is the safety equipment? A, a, an off like that, and yeah, you're beaten up, you're banged up, but he still raced that weekend. I know, I know. I, we shouldn't have, to be perfectly honest. Well, that's because, right. but but uh, motorcycle riders do, and that are arguably that's the counterintuitive part. It's the law of unintended consequences of how good the safety equipment that's is. A, that that they, is a very good point, Dex. But. But on his day, which was a lot, which he, again uh, we talk about the the level of of uh, uh, the medium level of, of performance for him was extraordinarily high. Uh, he's a late bloomer as well. He's been in the, he's been mm. in, in this category for a couple of years, and and it's wonderful to see him no longer be Luca Marini, uh, 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 Valentino Rossi's half brother. He's just Luca Marini now. Yeah. It's 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 a great thing for him to. I, I don't even think of him in those terms. I think of him as as a really really smooth, very fast, very fast. And he's going to be. I think he's going to have a terrific time in. He's going to be good in MotoGP. I, I think, despite what Nick says, I think the quality of some of the riders uh, coming into the category is really really high. So that leaves us then with our champion, Ener Bastanini, um, who. 
came into the uh, without a win to his name in, in Moto2. Uh, he'll leave it with three. Uh, came second once, third three times. Never got a pole position, though. No, he, he, sometimes he barely, uh, on occasion, he barely made it into Q2. I know. Uh, like, his, he, he, he uh, I have a, a moment. I need to find it because uh, it, it's the key. It, to me, it's the absolutely key moment in the championship. It is, uh, there was, uh, bear with me one second. I have to consult my notes. No, don't worry. Uh, I, remember that. I'll, I'll take you back a year because this is important. Right. He was having a really good yeah, last year, uh, and then got injured mid-year. Um, he was in contention for the Rookie of the Year in Mortal 2 last year. But, you know, he came... I, I think he turned that around in the winter and did a really good job coming back, um, both at the actual start and then, of course, at the restart of the season. There was a bit of pressure on him, in fairness, um, in the Atal Trans team. Um and they they hadn't had a victory either. So, you know, it's a little bit of a voyage of a discovery. But I, I, he's put a good season together. He wins ultimately by nine points. Um, qualifying could do better. Yes. Oh, yeah. But he's got... But what, what that tells us, Dex, is he's got the race brain to be able 100%. to get himself where he needs to be. Yes. And, and, you know, nobody else took any more race wins than him. Um, you know, yep, so you, yes, it, it, he has, he is a racer without question. He also did something, uh, in San Marino when he finished third, he did something, uh, absolutely crucial to him winning the championship because he had a full accident, the turn eight with six laps to go mm-hmm. and did the Marquez save off the shoulder in a way that he did the almost impossible. Uh, and kept himself upright and got on the podium. And probably that was the difference in the championship for him because he only retired once in, in Austria. Uh, unfortunately, had that massive high side out of one causing that. Ha- I don't know if you remember, but the bike ended up in the middle of the, the track oh, uh, yes. over the crest and Hafi Sirin hit it and his bike exploded and Hafi Sirin was thrown. Mercifully, everybody was okay. Again, back to our point about the unbelievable level of safety of uh, of modern motorcycle racing but that save in the San Marino Grand Prix kept his championship title to uh, championship hopes alive he didn't know it at the time because he came back the next week and he won but but he then raced the way he had to to win the championship it was very impressive he didn't lose his head you know when Lowe's was was winning race after race he was uh he was uh finishing second or on the podium or doing what he could and he won the title in that in that very classic bastianini way in the end where he he did what he had to do he was fourth sixth and fifth finish to finish things out uh in valencia and in portugal and uh he as you said he's a racer he's got a real racer's brain he's got an unbelievably uh calm methodical approach and he there's there's a little bit as a weird the way he raced and he could race to the front he kind of reminded me of of mid to late audis uh rossi when rossi would struggle in qualifying occasionally and then he'd work his way through to to win and i i see a little bit of him in that and again another man making the grade and making the jump absolutely correctly to MotoGP. Uh, if he's allowed to 
flourish uh, and grow at the pace he needs to, I think we have an enormous talent there. Uh, he didn't win the championship by accident, John. No, 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 uh, no, no. I could say Luca Marini may have been faster uh, over the course of the season, but Bastianini made less mistakes and raced with more of his head, and he won the championship by, in the end by uh, a paltry nine points. But he did it. was And for a team like Ital Trans to go and beat VR46 and to beat, uh, as you said, the reigning champions and the team who won the title in 2017 and 2019 is uh, in Mark VDS is absolutely remarkable. Worthy champion, undoubtedly. 100%. And a great season of support races. I mean, we've sort of alluded to that. But anybody who only makes time for MotoGP is rather missing out, Dex, aren't they? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Yes. Uh, In all fairness, uh, the way I watch, I consume, uh, uh, as I said, the, the races on a weekend would be Moto3, MotoGP, Moto2, in that order. Uh, and that, that would be in order of actual excitement. And on occasion, Moto2 this year, there was one or two races where the, the racing, particularly, you know, outside of maybe the first couple of places, maybe the races for the, uh, the third rung of the podium were amazing. Just watching those bikes fully committed through turn 11 at, uh, at, at, at Mizano, for example, is, is breathtaking when you see these guys who are fully committed and, and you know, racing for every single spot. And the same in Moto3. Uh, yeah, if you don't watch them, you, you really need to. And Moto E as well, if you can find the time, is great fun. I suggest if you can get them all the way, tape a few of them together because they're quite short <laughs> uh, and then and then sort of binge watch them because it actually works really well. In all uh, fairness, I haven't thought of that. If all they, what they should do is they should do a super cut of Moto3 that's like a, four, a 30 lap race. Yeah, Moto3, yes. Sorry, yes. Moto3, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dex, thank you very much indeed. It's been a cracking uh, season and I've really enjoyed chatting with you about our two-wheeled sport. Have a, have a great holiday period. Best for you and the family for 20 21. Stay safe and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, and the same. And I wish everybody a, a very, very merry and happy Christmas and happy holidays. And, uh, and we'll talk to you all again, obviously, next year. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.